The Inside Learning Podcast is brought to you by the Learnovate Center. Learnovate's research explores the power of learning to unlock human potential. Find out more about Learnovate's research on the science of learning and the future of work at learnovatecenter.org. There are no labels in universal design for learning. There are only fabulous, amazing students with different levels of variability. That is a quote from today's guest. Welcome to a summer edition of the Inside Learning Podcast, although looking out the window here in Ireland, it does not look like summer at all. And I hear many people who have visited Ireland goes, it rarely does, Aidan. But anyway, (laughs) we have a, a great guest for you on today's podcast based on a brand new book. She is a prolific author and a leader in educational revolution. She is a teacher, educational consultant, adjunct professor at UPenn, and a former assistant superintendent of schools in Massachusetts. Her latest book is an invaluable resource for policymakers, university staff, and regional support providers. It is a great pleasure to welcome the author of In Support of Students, A Leader's Guide to Equitable MTSS, Katie Novak. Welcome to Inside Learning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to stop by and chat. It is great to have you on the show. And before we define MTSS and make sure everybody's on the same page with what that is, I thought we'd share a bit about your own multi-tiered background, Katie, because you have (laughs) so much varied experience. And I'm sure that's had a massive influence on how you see the world and indeed what your mission is for equitable education. Yes, absolutely. So I started as a high school English teacher here in the United States, and I taught high school English and then moved to teaching middle school English. And I was in middle school for over 10 years, and I love that age group. I taught grade seven, which is about 13-year-olds, and you really have to be born for that sort of work. But after being a teacher, I had the opportunity to really have an inclusive classroom. The school that I worked in had moved away from having lots of separate programs for students in service of having that programming really embedded into a classroom that was designed for all students. And after experiencing it myself, I had opportunities to kind of step into an administrative role where I worked at the district level and was an assistant superintendent of schools. And all the while, ever since I've been a teacher, I've had opportunities to do some consulting and just share what am I doing in the classroom with other teachers? What am I doing in leadership with other leaders? And now I work with schools all over the world and help them to recognize the barriers that are preventing them from having more inclusive, more student-centered, more agency-driven classrooms for all kids. It's an amazing background, and I think that's why you can see it from every perspective and you can offer these frameworks to help everybody in every perspective because you've done the work on the ground. You know, in innovation work, for example, we tell people, get out of the building, get out there, not only experience what the customer has gone through, but live with the customer. And in a way, you have been your own customer, and that's what's so fascinating about your work. But I thought we'd understand and make sure everybody's on the same page with MTSS as a framework and bring everybody up to speed with that and indeed maybe explain where it came from because it's based on two other intervention-based frameworks, RTI and PBIS. Maybe we'll share a bit about those before we get into your own leadership guide for equitable MTSS. 
Well, I think the the best way for me to describe what MTSS is, is through an analogy, because I think that a lot of us have life experiences that can help us better understand these really complex educational frameworks. So when we talk about MTSS, I want to break it in half. We're going to look at the MT part, and then we're going to look at the SS part. (laughs) So a lot of people think that MTSS is just simply the three tiers of instruction. So all students need access to best first instruction. Some of them will need additional support in small groups. Even fewer students might need really, really targeted one-on-one interventions in addition to all of the the previous supports. And people say, oh, well, that's MTSS. That idea of those three tiers is really what RTI was about, which was how do we ensure that all students have the same opportunities as their peers, but how do we use data to determine who's going to need more than that? Now, here's the analogy. All across the world, we are very, very committed to keeping polished, beautiful, healthy teeth. And so if we think of tier one as the dentist, that's like first best preventative dental care. And we want everyone in the world to go and to get their teeth flossed and brushed and all of those wonderful things that preventative dental care can help us with. So I remember when I was little, all of my grandparents had dentures. And now my parents and my in-laws are the same age as my grandparents were, and they all have their teeth because dental care just became so much better. It became so much more evidence-based. And so I want you to think of like a tier one framework of either RTI, which is a response to intervention, or PBIS, which is positive behavioral intervention systems. And really think about like, what do we want every student to have so we can like prevent what triggers student behavior or, you know, we can prevent having to try to intervention our way out. But our dentists use x-rays to determine when we're going to need more than that. So the multi-tiered piece is really about looking at what is it that everybody gets and then what is the data that we're going to use to determine who's going to need more than that to supplement And so, for example, a dentist might say, oh, I took x-rays and there are some really big holes in your teeth and you're going to need some cavities filled. Not everybody needs their cavities filled, but some people do based on data. And some people need orthodontic care because their teeth are out of alignment. And so a smaller group will not only go to the dentist, but they'll also go to the orthodontist. But even that being said, you could have somebody who has a root canal that needs to be done or the teeth is cracked and it needs to be extracted. And then we have things like a dental crown and a dental implant, and that's for fewer and fewer people. So if you need to see the dentist and the orthodontist and the oral surgeon, you want to see all of those. And that's really what RTI was meant to do. We wanted to respond to intervention. We wanted all students to have access to best first instruction. We wanted to then use data to determine who needs more than that, who needs more than that. The same is true with PBIS as we were looking specifically at behavior. And so that's a part of MTSS, multi-tiers that we need a really, really inclusive access to best first instruction. And then we need a system of looking at really relevant, meaningful, authentic data that is valid and reliable so that we know who will need more than that. Now, 
why didn't that happen with RTI is we simply did not have the systems to do that. So the research on RTI, when it is implemented well, is very evidence-based. We see in you know, John Hattie's work that RTI is very high leverage, but it has to be supplemental to be high leverage. And so, for example, my daughter is going into grade seven, the grade that I taught for many, many years, and she has some support needs. And so I want to make sure that she's in a grade seven class with all of her peers, getting access to the same opportunities that they do. But data will tell you that she is reading four or five grade levels below. And so she needs supplemental reading. She needs a reading class in addition to having that class with her peers. But then you say, but our schedule doesn't allow for that, or we don't have staff for that, or we don't have the technology in tier one so that she can access that text, or teachers don't have time to plan together. So a general education teacher might not feel prepared to meet the needs of your daughter in tier one. That's the systems work. So I'm gonna go back to what I originally said. We're gonna take MTSS and kind of break it apart multi-tiers are really how do we provide the support that students need when they need it in addition to having access to first best instruction. The system of support is how do we shift our schools and our systems so that we can do that. And that requires us thinking differently about curriculum adoption, the way that adults work together, our leadership strategies, our professional development focus areas, our schedule, all of it. So MTSS is a huge umbrella term for how are we going to create the systems that make sure that students and staff have what they need when they need it so all kids can be successful. This is a great quote by the great Peter Drucker. He said that if you're going to start doing something new, you you have to stop doing something old. And that came to mind here in respect to change fatigue. So many, many educators, many teachers, you've been one when you get new curricula thrust upon you, it feels like that. It feels like, oh, here's more work to do. I'm already burnt out. And you address this in the book. You address fatigue, overwhelm, and burnout. This is very important to get our head around before we even go into what you're going to do. How do you mitigate that type of stress? Well, in a multi-tiered system of support, the support is for the teachers as much as it's for the students that I think we ask teachers to do a lot with a little. And we need to give teachers really high quality instructional materials, as well as the time to actually plan with colleagues, to model lessons, to get feedback from one another, really ongoing professional learning through strong leadership and instructional coaching. And I think that too often we think about, well, these are the changes that have to be made and we tell teachers they have to make them, but we're not providing them with everything they need to be successful. And so if we are not supporting our educators, we're not going to be able to support our students. And so I think a multi-tiered system zooms back and thinks about how do we provide the adults with what they need so that they really can serve all students well. And that's very different from an RTI model which zoomed into what are we providing to students without as much of a recognition that adults who are doing this work need a lot of support. And that comes from leadership support, that comes from learning how to use data, 
how to work together effectively, how to design instruction to meet the needs of all students. And if we can't really think about how do we shift our schedules to do that better, we're going to continue to be working way too hard and not having better results. You offer in the book a strategy, a toolkit for MTSS, and in particular for this term you use, equitable MTSS. Maybe we'll give a high level view of what that is. So yeah, absolutely. So my uh, colleague and I, Kristen Rodriguez, we actually worked together in public schools for years. We were together when she was a assistant superintendent and I was a teacher. And then I was the district reading coordinator and she was the assistant superintendent. And then we moved to another district and she was the superintendent and I was the assistant superintendent. So we have done this work together for, for a very, very long time. And so what we have done is tried to articulate what are the evidence-based drivers or ingredients, if you will, that districts need to have in place so that they can begin to make those technical changes, like through scheduling and curriculum adoption and updating policies and procedures, so that they can make the adaptive changes which are the approaching the way that we view teaching and learning and really seeing all kids as the responsibility of all educators and recognizing that compliance tasks are becoming more and more and more antiquated. We need to build agency. We need to optimize student voice and choice. And certainly there are some technical aspects to doing that. But in order to truly make changes, we have to get people to start doing things differently and believing that there's a, a better way to serve all students. And so I think that if you go through the book, it will ask you to self-assess, do you have these things in place? And some of them you're going to have already, and some of them you're not going to have yet. But it's creating a strategic plan to get all of those necessary ingredients in place so that you have what you need to be able to start that really significant adaptive work. Throughout the book, you offer many case studies. You offer examples of MTSS in action, for example. At the end of the book, you have a case study in integrating MTSS, and it's in your own district of Massachusetts. I'd love you to explore this, to share this with our audience so they can go, okay, that's the framework, that's the challenge, but what does it look like in action? So I think it really starts off with a very, very clear vision of what we're working towards, because I think that we make a lot of different changes in education and people are really confused. Why are we making those changes? Because there's just not a clear destination that we're all moving. And so in the book, we really talk about our work with a district where we started off and we looked at their strategic plan and they were looking to change all these things. And we asked well, why are you trying to make these changes? Like, what is it that you're trying to do? And how can we build some coherence and some shared responsibility around what you're looking to accomplish? And then we'll talk about what's the best way to get there. And so I think a lot of districts have these vision statements that they don't really unpack, they don't calibrate, people don't understand what exactly it means to be inclusive or what it means to be equitable. And really get districts to say, you know, what do you want your classrooms to look like? What is the experience that you want all students to have? And then we can ask, you know, once you have this really clear vision, we can ask, well, how does this vision manifest itself into practice? So I think that sometimes we're saying we need to make all these improvements. We need to make all these improvements. But but why? Where are we going? And what is our current reality? 
And once we can get on the same page about what that vision is, then we can start going through that self-assessment, which is throughout the book, to say, you know, do our curriculum materials really allow us to move in that direction? Do we have pedagogical practices that are leading students to build more agency and collaboration and innovation? And so all of those questions. And so we talk about how we work with the district to ask them those questions. We said, you know, how do all students access that vision? And what we found was a lot of students did not access that vision because they simply didn't have access to instruction with their peers. And so the big question is, well, how do we create those systems? And that is through strategy. And so the district that we work with in particular, we went through those questions with them and we said, well, you know, what is it that you need to build? And what they realized is that a lot of districts are trying to intervention their way out of a weak tier one. That best first instruction is not present for all students. And as a result, we're trying to always add additional supports as supplanting, right? So if if you're struggling with your teeth and I say, oh, you know what? You're struggling with your teeth. I'm going to send you to an orthodontist and you never see a dentist again. Like one would not be super surprised that you would have some sort of, you know, needs for your teeth. And so the district in particular, we talked about the fact that they did not have a culture of using data that they said, you know, we really want all students to access this vision. And we're like, well, who's already accessing it? Who already feels like they are a part of the school community? Who's already making significant growth and accelerate learning? Who's already proficient in these standards of mastery? And they're like, gosh, that's something that we don't really have yet. You know, we don't have standards-based assessments. We don't have a culture where we're looking at data. We certainly are not using that data to supplement. We're using that data to pull out. And so one of the huge findings was that they had to really start thinking about shifting their culture of how they look at data, making sure that data was meaningful, and making sure the findings of that data analysis really drove professional learning and changed what teachers were doing in the classroom. The only real reason to collect data is it's going to change what you do next. It drives action. And it's not supposed to be something that you collect to say, see, I told you she couldn't do it. So we spent a lot of time building a collaborative inquiry process, building that kind of data awareness and assessment literacy, and then really trying to make sure that instructional decisions were made in a result of of what the data had been telling us, looking at the outcomes on kids and thinking about what do we have to do differently. We also realized that there were staff that were very much working in silos. And so if a general education teacher was struggling, the idea was, well, let's send them to someone who's a specialist in behavior. Let's send them to somebody who's a special educator. And we realized that there really wasn't a culture of adults co-planning, adults observing each other, and really starting to think about how do we leverage those processes so that there was much more of an emphasis on co-planning, on coaching, a long-term professional development plan that had people who had expertise in certain content areas support their colleagues in more quasi-coaching roles. And then we shifted to co-teaching so we didn't have to pull students out to get what is rightfully theirs. And so we kind of discussed how that went with the needs assessment process, the strategic plan, some of the things that were necessary, and then in building some of those systems, what the significant impact on student learning was. And Katie, one of the things that constantly came to mind throughout the book is the need for a positive culture, because even there where you're saying like, 
watching each other, observing each other, commenting on each other. That takes a lot of exposure and vulnerability with a team and therefore a change in the culture where people have to kind of be open to that type of positive feedback, to, to see it as positive feedback. And these are often the human blockers to transformation like this. Yeah, absolutely. That adaptive change is really, really hard. It's easier to say, okay, so now we have a class that is co-taught, but you need those two people to co-plan, to respect each other's instructional decision-making, to you know really co-teach using multiple approaches, and then to co-assess and say, based on this data, what are we going to do differently? So I think a lot of the time we put those structures in place and we can go through a checklist and say, yes, we have a high quality curriculum. Yes, we have time for PLC. Yes, we have co-teaching. And it's like, but is what is happening in those spaces, does that truly align to the evidence base? You know, do we see people who really are unpacking those grade level expectations, thinking about the barriers, thinking about how they can approach instruction to address those barriers? Because having the technical piece does not guarantee that adaptive piece, which is really why we need to make much more integrated, complex changes where we're constantly really trying to measure the, the, the through constant, constant, constant feedback, like, are we moving in the right direction? And if we are, let's keep doing what we're doing. And if we're not, we as instructional leaders have to take a step back and use that data to do something differently in our strategic plan. So that is self-assessment is a theme that runs throughout the book, but also you offer self-reflection reflection questions. And I thought a nice way to finish up today would be to offer our audience a self-reflection question. If we want to achieve MTSS, equitable MTSS, what is one question we can begin with? I think it's what really is your instructional vision for all students. And the word all is no caveat. Every, each student, what is the experience that is rightfully theirs? And I think that really thinking about most Schools and districts would say, we want students to grow academically, to feel like they belong, to have experiences that validate really who they are and help them to see a path how they're going to be successful. And in the classroom, that means that they are working with diverse partners. They are spending a lot of time self-reflecting and making decisions. They are using innovative technologies to scale and revise their work and to create more efficiency in their learning. And if we have a vision like that, and then we walk through classrooms, I think that there is going to be a really significant discrepancy in some places to say this group of students or this school or in this class, they simply aren't accessing experiences that would help them to move in that direction. And so a first step, I think, is really what is your vision for learning? And what does this deeper learning experience look like? Nobody just wants high test scores at the expense of learners who are not going to be contributing global citizens, for learners who lack the creativity or their identity as a writer, as a scientist. It's so much bigger than simple test scores. And I think that this requires us to say, what is it that we really want to see? And if we're not seeing it, how do we shift our practices? How do we shift our supports? How do we shift our human resources, the way that we support staff so that more students can move in that direction until ultimately we can say, yes, all students do have this experience. 
I love it. I love that vision as well. And it's why I love this podcast, this idea of bringing new voices, new thinking, diverse thinking to our audience, so they can be sparked to have new visions. And it's off it's like you're offering new ingredients for people to marinate and create new recipes as well. So for that, yeah. we're very, very, <laughs> we're very grateful. And Katie, I loved on your site, you offer you're so generous with the amount of resources that you offer and beyond the book, you offer a building success success with MTSS online course. So where is that website? Where can people find the plethora of resources that you offer? Yes, so it is at novaceducation.com and Novak is spelled N-O-V-A-K. So novaceducation.com is where you can reach me and there's lots of blogs and resources. If you do choose to read the book, there's also a book club guide that can guide your practices and know that you can reach out to me anytime. Awesome. Author of In Support of Students, A Leader's Guide to Equitable MTSS, Katie Novak, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Inside Learning is brought to you by the Learnovate Centre in Trinity College, Dublin. Learnovate is funded by Enterprise Ireland and IDA Ireland. Visit learnovatecentre.org to find out more about our research on the science of learning and the future of work.